Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna. And me, Frederick. In this episode, we sit down with Eric Tang from LivePeer to talk about off-chain computation. Hi, today we're joined by Eric Tang from LivePeer. Eric, do you want to just quickly introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Eric Tang, like Anna said, and I am from LivePeer. Uh, LivePeer is a decentralized video streaming uh, network, and I've personally been working on it for about two years. Uh, Doug and I kind of started the project. Um, I'm based in New York, and um, before this, um, I'm a tech entrepreneur, and I've been working in the tech space for like 13, 14 years. Yeah. Oh, a bit like us. We're also coming more from startup land. Yep. Cool. So today we're going to talk about computation. And this is a thing that's being thrown around a lot, um, especially lately with like scaling issues, is like off-chain computation is a very popular term, and there's on-chain and off-chain and what you do where. I think that's a bit pretty big question and big field, and a lot of people are asking themselves, like, what should I be doing on-chain? What should I be doing off-chain? So I think it's really appropriate that we have you here, Eric, to talk about this, because <laughs> you're working on one of the projects that would actually really need off-chain computation. So what what is off-chain computation? Yeah, I would say uh, off-chain computation is basically anything that you cannot uh, any computation that, that you cannot fit onto the Ethereum blockchain because of the size of the executable and the complexity of the um, of the execution of the computation itself. Uh, so you need to do it somewhere else, but you also need to root it in the blockchain so that it's still decentralized and trustless. Is there is there computation that is actually done on chain? And like, what would be an example of that? I mean, I would say the execution of any smart contract is on-chain. I haven't seen a lot of um, like really heavy computation on-chain, um, partially because that's going to be very expensive. Yeah, so that that's what I would say as well, is that you know all contracts are on-chain computation. Uh, but if we're talking about computation in terms of like computationally intensive tasks, then uh, there's not that much happening on-chain because of like, the various properties of the chain so this kind of question is a little bit in in like related to scaling as well but not scaling in terms of like transaction throughput or whatever terms people normally use but like at a lower level the evm is not very performant you can't actually do super performance computation that's partly why people want to move to WebAssembly and other things but there is like um, there's these inbuilt, like uh, these pre-compiled contracts uh, in Ethereum that you just kind of call with a simulated opcode kind of thing. And um, those are all like super optimized little cryptographic function stuff um, that, um, you know, each client developer has to implement. So I'd say that's the closest thing to like on-chain proper like computation uh, computationally intensive tasks and they have to like go through an EIP process to be deployed and like it's a very very complicated thing. 
Uh, so obviously normal people can't do this, so they kind of have to take that stuff off chain and then, like you said, Eric, try, try to like link it back into the chain in some way so that it's still decentralized. Yeah, and I hear that um, the core dev team does not like precompiles and they, they try to get rid of it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so not only is it that we don't like adding more stuff, it's also like the whole like movement of WebAssembly and everything else basically started as a way to get rid of precompiles because it's just a pain in the ass to deal with. Um, so then whenever we hear about kind of computational heavy projects, they're always going to be or they're likely going to be happening off chain. Uh, you started talking a bit about that, but like, what does off-chain mean, really? Yeah, well, yeah, I think that off-chain just means like executing the, you know, the computation in another environment that's not on the blockchain, that's not on the EVM, um, but still being able to prove that the computation has happened and and it's done correctly. So, I think the best the best way that I know is through some kind of crypto economic incentive to to incentivize the right thing because you can never like a hundred percent ensure that the computation has been done correctly otherwise you just do it on chain no yeah i guess doing it on chain will be the only way to 100 percent know uh, that it's, it's been done correctly i think it's useful to to break down some examples and talk about a little bit the different types of ways that you can pull things off chain so in crypto kitties for example the cat generation like algorithm is off-chain because it, it would be too expensive to do on-chain. And um, it's actually done in a way that you're trusting the people behind this to do it correctly and do it fairly. So in in the uh, light pair, white paper, actually, it lists these uh, three uh, kind of, um, or four, I guess, ways to do off-chain computation. One being sort of an API-based Oracle, the kind of entity behind the smart contract or whatever whatever it is is fully trusted to say this off-chain computation is correct and then we just trust that whatever this organization does is correct second way is to try to remove it a little bit and like introduce third parties in a more traditional sense of like this is a company whose you know trust and whose reputation relies upon being this computation being correct and so if you can sort of show that oh they submitted something that is incorrect this company is like fucked and you have some assurance that it's correct through through normal sort of socioeconomic means. this is just like a certification body yeah, or something some sort. like that yeah the third way is to do like secure enclave computation which is a new kind of hot topic a lot of people are talking about right now uh where you have physically verifiable computation security and correctness. So Intel's SGX, for example, is a, is a popular example. And the, the fourth way, which is what most people in this space are talking about, is the Truebit way. Even though Truebit doesn't really exist yet, uh, it's it's a really cool algorithm. And like, if you haven't read the Truebit paper, I, I encourage you to read it because it's been very influential in this space over the past... A uh, couple of years, and um, what is done there is you kind of kick off the computation on chain, saying, "Hey, this is like the parameters that I want to compute with. This goes off chain. Something, you know, it's being computed and then it's submitted back on chain, and then you have verifiers that kind of redo the work. And if someone finds that 
someone cheated, then there's crypto economic security in that you can slash someone or you can you can have various like uh, reward and punishment schemes to make sure that things are secure and correct. And Eric, you're, you guys are actually working a little bit with TrueBit already, right? We are. Uh, in fact, there is already a prototype that's the, the TrueBit Live PR verifier uh, that's been built. So Sammy from the TrueBit team has been working with us on this. And what's, you know, what's missing there is the token incentives, which makes TrueBit um, kind of... Uh, so TrueBit has this, pro- uh, this really interesting problem of like, because it's so easy to prove that somebody did the wrong work, Nobody would do the wrong work, uh, but if nobody does the wrong work, then no one would be checking the work because there would be no reward <gasps> for them to check the work. Uh, oh so it's gosh. like a very strange uh, crypto economic uh, problem, but super interesting. Oh, and wow. and the team is working on that. Um, so what we have currently is uh, the the quote unquote non non incentivized version of TrueBid. But you know the the interpreter on chain and off chain, the compiler of the video verification process, uh, it's all done, which is pretty exciting. That's nice. Yeah. But that's so funny. So like the problem there is that like you actually need bad behavior in order for anyone to get paid if they find a malicious actor. Wow. So that's a common like pattern in this uh, fisherman paradigm and yeah what TrueBit proposed in their paper is to introduce uh forced errors so say that every thousand computation um you you have to you know submit the wrong thing and uh then the question is like how do you then validate that it was a forced error and not a not an actual error and yeah, you get into some details like that. Is it sort of like slashing too? Like, is so then like, would you get slashed because you are forced to introduce an error? How does that exactly? Work? So that's the thing. You shouldn't be slashed for a forced error, but you should be slashed for a normal error. So then you have to be able to like have some pre-commit scheme to say that oh, like I committed this being an error without revealing that it is an error to everyone and that kind of thing. So, but then also, if it is an error, how how who pays who? Like where does the mon- where does the actual sort of income or the yeah yeah so the way the way in the current design I know is that all the money goes into a, a pool and then the, this pool builds up over time um, uh-huh. and eventually when someone triggers an error condition the pool kind of like pays out okay so the protocol itself you can say is paying out. Um, to the fishermen. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so pay- basically, there's a fee for people who want to have their computation verified um and then it's a small fee and then that builds up over time etc so yeah it's like a jackpot scheme yeah yeah and that's a really cool project i i I remember watching it um when christian was giving the presentation at like devcon 2 or something and i was like wow like this is like the the solution that we were looking for (laughs) and um and i think since then there's been a few different projects that are, you know, trying to do similar uh, that are trying to do similar things um, with slightly different uh, variations. But I'm personally not as familiar with with those projects. Something I'm very interested in with LivePeer is um, and transcoding is a property of off-chain computation that you need is determinism. So mm-hmm. to be able to verify a computation, it has to be deterministic, and x264 encoding under like uh, multi-core is non-deterministic and a lot of other you know video formats are non-deterministic because it includes random numbers or timestamps in metadata and stuff like that 
So how do you work around this and how do you actually make like a deterministic transcoder? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we cannot make a deterministic transcoder because we have to rely on um, kind of the transcoders out there doing work as it is. Um, so the computation that's done off-chain in life here is non-deterministic in the long term. Currently, uh, in our prototype that's deployed, um, it is deterministic. And the way to do that is just make it single-threaded uh, and take out a floating point calculation. Of course, you do it, You have a trade-off with that, which is it makes it less efficient um, and, and less scalable. And for our goal, we're actually you know, aiming to cut down the cost of computation by 10x comparing to the current um, traditional cloud, uh, cloud infrastructure providers. Um, so our new approach is to use the non-deterministic transcoding infrastructure that's out there, uh, but have a deterministic way to verify the quality of the transcoding and the correctness of the transcoding, if that makes sense. I think that brings us to an interesting question in this, though, that is there's a very different cost structure to doing things in a decentralized way. And so, like you said, you're aiming to bring down overall costs because you're you know, elim- eliminating middlemen, essentially. But then the actual computation cost might actually be quite a lot higher than us in a centralized environment. Yeah. So, you know, that was one of the big questions that we had when we started working on this project. And we've been spending a lot of time trying to verify and trying to do benchmarks and, and trying to see how we can actually push the cost down. Uh, we recently just published a blog post uh, with some pretty early benchmarks. And and what, what the blog post kind of, I'm just going to do a high-level summary here. What it proves is that you're able to do video transcoding in a very efficient way through plugging into the current cryptocurrency mining infrastructure. And, and the, way they, the way it basically works is that as the GPUs are mining, you know, Ethereum or Zcash or anything that's GPU mined, um, they can be doing video transcoding at the same time uh, because the part of the chip that you use to do the two um, operations are separate. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's quite cool. So we, we, we've, you know, run some early benchmarks. And what we found is that uh, the electricity that you use on the GPU is about 10 to 15% more when you do, uh, when you say like dual mine. Uh, so you're, if you're mining live peer video and also mining Ethereum or something. But uh, the income that you'll get from the second revenue stream is so much higher um, than you, what you would get from GPU mining that is totally worth, it's, mo- it's most likely it will be worth your time to do that. Because the current, like, just given the current cost structure of Video transcoding uh, costs about three dollars per hour per stream to do transcoding on like uh, Amazon or something. Um, so if you if you put that against um, a GPU that's mining Ethereum and making about a dollar fifty per day, uh, there's a huge difference, uh, especially given that uh, you can you can be simultaneously transcoding two to three streams at the same time on a on a GPU ASIC. So you know that's two to three times three times 24 versus like 1.5, right? There's a big difference. And I think this this is an interesting topic and like an interesting part of the analysis of doing like on-chain versus off-chain and how you think about how you split your computation is like what makes sense where and what can I exploit in terms of computation power or like where do I need security and, and correctness? 
we talked on this podcast before about decentralized storage and and things like that and uh, you kind of run in, into the same problems there where you're by you know moving everything to a lot of different people and using kind of unused storage space you can bring down costs a lot but in absolute terms like it's like if you're just looking at a price per hard drive then a centralized provider will always win because there's economies of scale so you're kind of in this uh, new little world of economics where there's like economies of scale but only because of this weird like crypto economic property and not necessarily scale in the traditional sense yeah so this is a really interesting topic and and you know like i don't have the right answers because of course we're all just doing this giant experiment in this whole space right and um but i think you know we have some interesting data from the past you know eight years of of bitcoin um and and seeing that Bitcoin is now the largest supercomputer in the world by far in terms of hash power, um, and seeing the power of this very simple incentive that's able to create a very scalable computation machine, right? Um, and thinking that, okay, um, if you compare that to something like a Google Cloud or Amazon, um, and, and think about the incentives for Google and Amazon to, to build something, uh, it just seems much more complex for the Googles and Amazons because they have so much more incentives in this huge corporate structure um, to be able to scale their computation. They have to like go go out and sign, sign up clients, to do marketing, like all of these things that are happening. Versus like Bitcoin is just like yeah, anyone Money. can join, do it, <laughs> and just one one button click and it's done. And everybody around the world knows about this. It can do it at the same time. And it's, yeah, it's quite powerful, I think. So I have a question sort of coming back to the off-chain, on-chain. Um, are there parts of your system that are actually also on-chain? Like what's, we're kind of talking about going off-chain and then yeah. things are happening there, but like, why aren't you just on a different blockchain then? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. why, why come back? <laughs> yeah, so unfortunately, yes, there's a lot of stuff on-chain. <laughs> and we're trying to move them off-chain as much as possible. Um, so so, so LifePeer as a protocol is a incentive scheme and the computation verification scheme for for creating uh, for making this decentralized and trustless um, network to happen, um, and and the protocol itself is you know running on the Ethereum mainnet right now, and it's quite a it's quite a complex suite of smart contracts. So so what that means is it's quite expensive to 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 use the smart contract now so for example uh, there's this if you look at any decentralized computation network i would say you can look at it from um, a marketplace standpoint right so some there's some a group of actors that are willing to do the work it's called we just call them workers and then there are people who want the job done um so in the life your case they're broadcasters um, for a broadcaster to come into the network and want to get the work done, they will need to be assigned to a specific worker. Uh, and, and, and this assignment scheme is done on the blockchain. Ah. right? Um, and also for the worker to, have to prove that they have done the right work, um, this verification scheme is also done on the blockchain. And this is a, like these are the smart contracts that have been deployed there. And this is low computation, I imagine. Yes. In terms of, so it's just like regular smart contract computation. Yeah, I mean, low computation compared to the transcoding, but high compared to 
some of the other contracts that are running on Ethereum. <laughs> so when you're talking at your, so you're, this is like a lot of on-chain activity that you're talking about, but what happens when like the network gets clogged up or like when things, when the gas prices go up like they did last week? Yeah, you mean when when an exchange tries to do some voting? <laughs> um, <laughs> what happens is the price, uh, the gas price goes up and a lot of the protocols grind to a halt. Uh, it becomes really, really expensive to use a protocol. And because it's a decentralized scheme, um, people always have the choice to not to participate in that moment. And most people will not choose not to participate because of the high cost of participation. So like what actually happens on the ground for you guys, though? So live peer is live streaming. Say there's a, a camera on and you're trying to actually run this thing. What would happen to the film, to right. the video? Right. So... So the, the nice thing about LifePeer is all of the video workflow is happening off-chain. Okay. So from the start um, of creating the video until the end of finishing the video, um, it's all happening off-chain. So if you have a video that's already running, um, it shouldn't affect you as much. Um, maybe other than like the, the transcoder will likely not to do the verification until the price comes down. Okay. Um, but that can happen in an asynchronous way. Um, but for people who want to do the broadcast, that might be a problem because the because of the job assignment algorithm is running on chain, um, and and you might well first of all you might not want to do it at the moment because it'll cost you like I don't know a hundred times as much to create another job. Wow, um, which which is bad. <laughs> so it's like the people who are about to record um, will be faced with just this like strangely high cost and. Yeah. So say they do it, though. So they're like, okay, fine, whatever, I want to do it. Are they affected? Is there a time effect? Like, are they affected in other ways? Or is it fine if they pay the price? Yeah, I guess that, that becomes a, a cost question for you, uh, for, the, for the specific broadcaster to decide, right? If they want to pay a higher gas amount, then their transaction will get in. Uh, and if they want to pay a lower, tra lower cost, then they may wait for hours. And that's probably not what a broadcaster wants anyways. Yeah. Um, but we're actually working on the second version of the protocol so that the job negotiation can happen off-chain so that we're not dependent on the, on the blockchain. If you did that, then what is being written to the chain at all? Yeah, if we did that, then it would be the, uh, the proofs of someone has done the work. Huh. Um, because every, when the when the broadcaster is broadcasting a video stream, they are signing all the segments with their Ethereum private key uh, when they send it to the transcoder. So the transcoder can already off-chain verify that it came from the right person. Uh, and all, all the transcoder has to do is to do the work and provide a signature of the work that it has done, sign that, and sign it with the signature they got from the broadcaster and create a Merkle, uh, and create a Merkle root of all of those claims and then write that on chain. So what that's what, what the transcoder is doing there is saying, I am committing to the fact that I have taken this video from this person and I have done the work and have gotten this result uh, and and this is what I'm committing to. And I write that on chain at some point. Um, when, I, when that, I want to get paid. And that can be later. So like say there's a long delay for that part, it's okay. Yeah. Because that's more about like the transfer of, of like ETH or gas price, I guess. Well, actually, yeah. what, what would be transferred from that? Like say once it's written, the transcoder gets paid. Yep. Okay. Yeah, currently the transcoder gets paid in ETH. Um, but I think DAI may be a more um, reasonable thing to pay for like something like transcoding because you have a 
uh, understanding of what how much cost it, it is for you yeah i mean i think this is a pretty common pattern of doing the split of on-chain and off-chain computation if you have something that is computationally intensive you report back on-chain when you want to pay out a reward of some sort and you can kind of prove and say hey this has now happened here's what you need to do i mean it's sort of the same thing with <clears throat> state channels and all of these other things where uh you kind of open up a channel and say i'm committing to this and then you do something and then you close it out and rewards are exchanged uh, after the fact also here it sounded like like if there's any sort of time constraint like in your case it's like you need that to actually start right away if somebody wants yeah. to do that, and so you wouldn't be able to rely on a, like a slow on-chain transaction, You'd, but whereas the payment could always be like a little bit delayed. I could foresee a problem there, though, with griefers, because you could start a stream, and then the transcoder, like midway in the stream, changes it out to a porn video, and then... You know, it runs a porn video for half an hour, and then he won't he won't be paid for it because he can't verify it, but he can still grieve someone's stream. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's why I think for like when the broadcaster is picking it, um, they have to like they have to like make sure that the transcoder is like have something to lose. Um, so in the live fair scheme, the transcoder has to, you know, be elected by the community, right? And that's like a delegation scheme. So if the the transcoder is caught doing something like that that's provably bad then they will be they will be slashed yeah that's a fair point how would you yeah. do that though because that wouldn't be algorithmic like you'd have to prove you'd have to show like who's the judge there right so as a broadcaster what you can do is to verify the signature that came out of the transcoder oh. right and because the signature part of it part of the signature is what you published and so if the transcoder says, I've taken this video and I've output this video and it turns out the video yeah. output is something completely different, then you will be able to like prove that, prove that they've done the wrong work. Perfect. So yeah, you could have a staking style thing where you stake your a bunch of tokens that you will provide correct work. And if you don't, it'll get slashed and you lose a bunch of money. So then it's a trade off for you of like, how much is it worth it for you to grieve someone? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a really interesting question, right? Like, how much so, are those porn providers giving you? Totally. If you if you have a like a super high importance stream that you're like a government statement of uh, something, then maybe you want to actually be able to ensure that you know, a person the transcoder has staked a minimum amount before like you allow them to pick your job or something. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I think in that case, you most likely want to run it on your own hardware, to be sure. Um, and in fact, we've recently just put in a version where put put in a mode where you can run on your own hardware completely and skip all the on-chain stuff. Um, so that what that means for a transcoder, you be, it becomes like you you know you have some hardware. Uh, you can put in put it put the hardware into to the, put a resource into the live peer network so that you always prioritize your own work. But when you have spare bandwidth, uh, spare capacity, you can allow other mm. people to use your like, to use your resources. So there's another part of this and a lot of other kind of uh, off-chain protocols that um, involve bandwidth. Have you guys thought about that of like how to solve the bandwidth question of how do you incentivize paying people who upload and like taking money from people who just download? Yeah, the bandwidth question is a really hard problem and and there's there are a lot of teams that are that are kind of working on this problem specifically, right? There's a 
there are a few different uh, decentralized CDN projects and and decentralized VPN projects that are all trying to solve this like specific bandwidth issues. We we've been talking to the Swarm team since the beginning. In fact, uh, the first version of LivePeer was a fork of Swarm, and I just I just added video stream into the Swarm uh, into the Swarm nodes. And and Victor has this like swap, swear, and swindle scheme that that he uses for uh, for the design of the Swarm system, and it's pretty interesting. Um, and it's it's kind of like a payment channel, but provably uh, you can provably like um, punish somebody for doing for doing the wrong thing. And kind of the the goals are all similar, but the way they do it is is pretty interesting. So currently, our plan is to rely on the projects that are working on this, focusing on this, to to be able to solve some of these problems for us. But I think what can what can happen is that there can be open source projects out there to kind of offload the the cost from uh, from that into like just a pure peer to peer based uh, video delivery system. But I guess like is that that doesn't necessarily need to be something you solve. If if another team solves it, then you would just work with them. I guess. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the that's one of the cool things about this whole space, right? It's like. Those teams can't even stop us from using it if they wanted to, because it's all decentralized. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is something that, yeah, like you said, a lot of teams are working on. It's it's you know of high interest to like big players like Filecoin, etc., who you know their whole model is storing data and delivering data, and um, it's it's a tough question, but I think it's one that probably has to be solved eventually. Yeah, but uh, you never know. Like at some point, the, like um, these kinds of like open source, like Twitch, you know, peer to peer streaming platforms have existed before. They've just not be- ever been incentivized. So I mean, I could build a you know with me and my ten friends, we all set up streaming servers, and we can have a kind of quote unquote decentralized <laughs> among ourselves. Uh, streaming network but it relying entirely on a volunteer basis so obviously a structure like that works but it doesn't scale up because there's no incentives and so that's like really the problem that you guys and like filecoin and everyone in the space trying to tackle now is like how do we take this technology that has existed and just make it uh scale and and make it possible to do this uh to a large degree yeah, I think that's right. Um, and there's there are so many different ways you can kind of incentivize this, and there are so many ways to think about who is incentivized to do what, right? Because this is such a complex system. Sometimes the viewers are incentivized to pay for the content. Sometimes the broadcasts are incentivized to pay for the content, and that's mm-hmm. all different. Um, and and I think whatever the underlying system is, it has to be able to capture all of these different use cases. Um, what we have done is, you know, exactly like you said, we have, you know, built prototypes for the non-incentivized version. So, for example, you know, like like I said, the first version of Live Here was built on Swarm, and you know, we've streamed video through the Swarm network before, um, and we actually demoed it in the in the Swarm Summit, um, the the last one, and and we've also built um, prototypes with IPFS and LibP2P, and shown that that can work. Uh, in those systems as well, and of course, that's just the underlying infrastructure of the networking. Uh, and and when we talk about resources, we have to think about maybe you know the broadcaster is incentivized enough to create a network 
of swarm nodes or or IPFS nodes to kind of let the peers connect to、uh, let the viewers connect to their nodes and and be able to deliver that way.、Yeah. Um, or maybe you know, like the the incentivization layer, of course, is a level above that, so that you know the broadcaster does not have to. Does not have to spin up their own network. Instead, can just pay somebody who already did this.、Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I think there are current solutions that can already work for a smaller scale. I'd say you know up to a thousand viewers, a few thousand viewers,、um, in a, in a peer to peer fashion. I think that's a good point. That there's different levels of incentives, and you don't necessarily need to solve like the bandwidth question because you have a structure around the content, and so a transcoder is maybe incentivized enough through the transcoding that he doesn't also need to be paid for the bandwidth, etc. So it's it's different, like in a CDN scenario where literally the only thing you're doing is sending data. Than to like a, a video streaming distribution thing where you know there's some incentive structure around the video itself. And I think like go, I, so my background's been in video as well.、Um, I had a, I've had a video tech company for five years,、um, and what I rem- what what I learned when I was you know maybe a bit more active in it was that、um, it really depended on the content who would be paying for what. So sometimes you'd have. Like say in in the form of like an advertiser or someone who's you know a company trying to broadcast a message, then they themselves would pay a lot of the cost, and obviously the viewer will would get it for free. But in other models where the content is really exciting and it's maybe more creative, then the the viewer would be wanting to pay for that. And then, but what I wanted to ask you is like somewhere in the middle, there's often ads. Like, have you guys hit? Ads yet? <laughs> What's the deal? Yeah,、um, <laughs> I I look at life here very much as a、um, open ecosystem of infrastructural and and like open open source video software.、Um, and what that means is we're very much thinking about problems in on the infrastructure layer.、Um, and there are a lot of video projects in the decentralized space that's thinking about the application layer and incentives layer. So I'd say. Um, advertising kind of falls into that. So, so for example, people have been thinking about how to connect directly,、uh, how to connect the viewers and and the content content creators directly, so that maybe you can take out the middleman, or how to incentivize good advertising to happen inside the streams if you are showing them.、Um, maybe allowing the users to to pick what kind of advertising they want to see. Um, but these are these are kind of like application level questions. I think if we're able to create a really cheap and good and stable infrastructure, there will be a lot of experiments that that will happen、mm-hmm. on top of that. But that wouldn't necessarily need to come from Live Peer. Like that's other people joining and building. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think yeah, a key thing to having this incentive structure is that you can avoid ads. And so, in any scenario where someone can pay to avoid ads, I I think people will. Depends. And that's like. I mean, look at what the internet the, the has ben- shown us. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, as someone who just started paying twenty bucks a month to not have ads on YouTube, I think there's certainly a market for it. And the 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 wonderful thing with you know these kinds of systems is that you can give people options.、Uh, because it's decentralized, you can have. Two competing platforms where one serves ads and is ad funded, and the other one isn't, and so the the user themselves can pick which one they like the most. Yeah, that's a really good point.、Um, I, I thought it was funny that yesterday I was at DapCon, 
and you know live here was streaming part of the DAPCON conference and and, and there was another video stream that was, that was coming out of there that's going through YouTube and and there were two windows on, on the DAPCON homepage one was from live here one was from YouTube and the YouTube one was down for the entire day and what they figured out was YouTube forces you to turn on monetization when you have a bet player in your own like in your own web page oh. and, and so like it was just not working for all day it's yeah. pretty pretty sad also google had uh downtime on their uh worldwide load balancers just like right. earlier this week i think yeah 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 the soccer games were down people are not happy um you so so far live peers only streaming um, but I was wondering about like hosting and like actually creating you know, hosted videos. Is mm-hmm. that in your is that in your roadmap? Is that something you think you like Live Peer itself would actually build at some point? Yeah, I think um, what Live Peer has focused on right now um, until now is kind of like a long tail problem, right? And the long tail problem is uh, when you have a lot of streams, but each of those streams might not have a lot of users. Um, and, and, you know, to do that, we kind of focused on the transcoding problem. Uh, but if you think about just video transcoding, um, that can be done on a live stream or on a video on demand video file, right? So the, the transcoder doesn't really care. Uh, maybe the workflow there is a little different. For example, the live stream might want higher priority versus the mm-hmm. video on demand processing might not care as much about latency. Um, but in, like, in general, the, the, the scheme is very similar. Um, but so, so that's part of the video on demand, um, tech stack. Um, the other is, of course, delivery, right? Um, if you look at peak content for, de- for like a video on demand, um, file, the like 97, 95 to 95, 95 to 97% of the cost comes from, um, delivering the video mm. because you only have to transcode it once, but you have to deliver it like millions of times. So, for that, um, you know, companies like Akamai, that's where they kind of like make their money. Um, and I think these decentralized storage solutions are actually interesting because one thing that they incentivize is the replication of the data. Um, and what, and that's exactly what you need when you have a video on demand file that a lot of people want to watch, but all at different times. So you want the file to live close to the people who want to watch it and incentivizing the replication. Um, it's going to be interesting there. But that, again, is that's not necessarily something Live Peer would need to do. It would be more like partnering with something like Filecoin. Yeah, exactly. Or some other storage. Yeah. And that's kind of cool because it harkens back to an earlier series that we started on decentralized storage. Yeah, I was always kind of wondering if you guys would head in that direction at some point. Yeah, we can't wait to use one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Filecoin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Frederick, do you have any other questions? What would your general advice be for people who are, you know, designing their DAP or thinking about their system of like, how should they think about splitting the work between on-chain and off-chain? Yeah, I mean, I would say try to do as much off-chain as possible, uh, but make the make the on-chain part simple and and only the part that uh, only the portion that needs in, uh, needs a consensus. Right, so the on-chain computation is great for kind of like removing trust from this whole equation, right? So, for example, the only reason that you would use someone like Amazon or Google to do your computation is because they're big companies and they have a reputation. So you trust that, you know, when you SSH into their servers, it's the right server that you want. And when you're doing the computation, they're not giving you garbage, 
right? So when you yeah, so so you either want to completely remove the trust, or you want to have the workers to have some skin in the game and be able to easily prove when they proves when they do something wrong. And another thing is, you really have to think about whether this makes sense to put it on the blockchain in the first place.、Um, and and the only like one of the big reasons we do it for video is because we know that in the long term. And、we believe that decentralized infrastructures is going to be more more scalable and cheaper than centralized infrastructures. Not only from computation, but also from bandwidth, right? So, just if you just look at how people are paying for networking today, I think a lot of people are double. Like, there's a lot of like double paying of bandwidth、uh, because of these like very complex schemes that are happening between businesses, and I think. Peer-to-peer is, from a computer science way, like a view, like a better way to go. But we just haven't evolved there yet. I mean, internet has only been around not for that long,、uh, and that's why we're working on this problem. And and we're also working on it because you know there there is actually a way to、um, pretty efficiently、um, verify the transcoding work without having to do it again, right? And and the way to do that would is is kind of like comparing. The delta of the input video and the output video,、um, and even though even though it's non-deterministic, what you can do is、um, to have、uh, metrics around the quality of the of the video, and you can have algorithms that、uh, that prevent people who are trying to game the who are trying to game the quality score algorithms. So all of that is is crucial for this system, and and all of that is all of that is needed to build this system, right? And of course. The kind of the holy grail is this homomorphic encryption scheme that people always talk about. It's like, oh, you can just encrypt your video, you can just encrypt your data, and then ask some random computer to do something, and then you can on the encrypted data, and then you can get the encrypted data back and decrypt it, and it'll be the processed data. But of course, we're like nowhere near being able to solve that from a generalized <laughs> scheme. Homomorphic encryption for like plus and multiplication. <laughs> <Right> . <laughs> Not even subtraction, maybe. Right, right. <laughs> like doing it for video transcoding <laughs> is a way, a little ways off. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, 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 in order to build these types of systems, I think you have to think about the very specific use case you're building it for, and figure out like a trick、um, to be able to do that. Right, like you know, that's what Filecoin is working on. They're working on like proof of replication, and all of these things are like tricks that are specific for. The use case that you're trying to build for. Yeah, I think you hit hit on a good couple of notes there. One is you, you're talking about kind of probabilistic correctness, and I think people have to get a lot more comfortable with that notion of like having probabilistic correctness, because that's fine in almost all cases, especially concerning like when there's lots of computation involved. When you're moving twenty million dollars, you don't want probabilistic correctness; you want correctness. <laughs> But if you're like Yeah, if if it's the difference between an eighty percent quality JPEG or a ninety percent quality JPEG, probabilistic correctness is probably like good good enough. Yeah. And the other thing you hit on is only like embed your applic the part of your application that needs consensus on chain. I usually think of this as like if I'm building a normal web app. Let's say I'm building a to do app and just building in a normal Rails application or something. I might use Stripe to deal with payments, and you know, there's a question of like, how much do I use Stripe? I could use Stripe to do my user management. That's actually like a feature they offer, so I could do that. I could I could just use it for payments, manage my own features, or I could 
let Stripe use like management the the users for me as well. And like yeah, that makes sense. But I could use like the meta field of the user on Stripe to store all the to dos for the user as well. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> nah, I, like, how much should I really put on Stripe to manage for me? And I, it, I see the blockchain as a little bit of the same, but you have a better source of truth. But like, how much do you really need to put on there? Like, do you just deal with the payments? Do you deal with the, like, you let the blockchain be the user layer as well? That might make sense. But like, where is that boundary? And I think like thinking about it in a little bit of that term of like, how much would you put on Stripe? It's kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, that and I thought that's a very subtle point that you know I'm I've starting to I'm starting to realize in the past year, which is like what we're building. Um, is it a is it a blockchain application? Is it um, or is it a decentralized network that uses a blockchain as a tool for for a very specific thing? Right, and and I think the answer is the second. Like we're we're using the we're using the blockchain for the th- specific thing that the blockchain provides, but we're, we also need to do a bunch of other stuff in order to make this network works. Uh, and I think a lot of the projects that I see kind of fall into that camp. Um, so you know, this is this is something I always tell people: like really think about how wh- and why we're using these tools and and use them for what they're created for, basically. Yeah. Don't try to just stick blockchain or <laughs> don't try to put all parts of your application on blockchain just because it's cool. I have, I actually have two last questions. There's one project, a video related project that gets talked about a lot because it's super, you know, risque and crazy edgelordy. So um, that's SpankChain. How is that related to what you guys are doing? I'm 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 not an expert on the project. Um, what I know is that they've been kind of focused on a payment channel, like a payment solution for that industry. Um, and of course, there you know there's the the video portion. I actually think for now, um, LivePeer is not a great use case for them because they um, they seem to want to be able to stream in a ultra low latency context which is kind of like sub second internet broadcasting at scale usually is about at least 30 seconds to 40 seconds um so i think i think what they need to build is is a different tech stack uh with you know like webrtc and things like that where to like really bring the latency down so i I think it's because of that that we haven't um that we haven't had a lot of um, discussions in terms of you know whether they would use live peer, but you know I think that kind of bring brings up a point of because video is such a important like such a powerful medium of storytelling, um, it's really it's really important to think about what kind of content will exist on a decentralized network like live peer or Filecoin or any of these these platforms that will hold content and. And this is kind of a you know area that we've been exploring and thinking about. And the best answer that I have currently is to be able to give people the option um, to make their own decisions, right? So because we're only we're only the developers of this protocol, we actually don't even run a node ourselves. So any so the node operators in the network are actually the decision makers on what kind of content mm. can be put on the network. And, and our goal is to build tools so that these node operators can easily make their decisions. So for example, I've, I recently thought about 
maybe it's good to have community, have the live peer community come together and create different TCRs to mark like source addresses so that they can kind of indicate what kind of content they come from. Uh, and, and the node operators can, you know, subscribe to these TCRs to, to basically signal, you know, what kind of content they can, they would allow on their, on their nodes mm. or something like that. So I have one last question and that's what's the most kind of inspiring video live stream that's, that's happened on, uh, live here <laughs> so far? You know, I really love um, connecting the blockchain with people who don't necessarily understand the blockchain and and seeing how they take uh, how they understand it from their perspective. And so there's a there's a there's a little studio that Life Here has in, in Berlin, and the studio was started by one of our early community members who has now become our creative director. And one of the big efforts there is to connect artists with blockchain projects. And since Berlin is such a great artistic city, um, we often get musicians to come into the studio and they will stream, they'll live stream their, you know, their session, maybe a jam session, maybe it's a little concert. Um, you know, the, the, there may be like 20 people, 30 people at the, at the studio to listen, but you know, they can be streamed to hundreds and thousands of people online and they can get tips. Uh, in in the form of Ethereum, because there's uh, n- next to the next to the video, there's like a tip button, and and it's always interesting to see people's reactions when they get a tip in Ethereum, and these musicians have no idea what it is. It's like we have to show them how to get a MetaMask and then like how, what the wallet is, and they're like, oh, what is this Ethereum? Now I have like five dollars. Oh my god! Like like this five dollars is going to turn to ten dollars next year, maybe? Like what is this? Um, that's you know, whenever I see that, I I think of like how they kind of under you know we're like bringing a new person into the fold, and, and that's always that always makes me really happy. Cool, <laughs> I think that's a great example. So, listen, thanks so much for sitting down with us and having this conversation. Yeah, thank you guys. It's been it's been a pleasure. Uh, I hear your podcast so much, so it's so good to be here and 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 see you guys face to face. Now you're going to hear yourself on the podcast. Oh, man, that's going to be weird. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. And uh, to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.